0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the 28th chapter of the book of Genesis. We're continuing our series, Pursuing the Promise, Stories from Genesis. And we're looking at the common thread that we see in these stories of how God is faithful to reveal himself to us and that there is hope because of the revelation of God made to us and whenever I think about the book of Genesis we know numerous things about it we, we know that it tells us the, the beginning in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and if we begin to ask questions about Genesis there's a great chance that you're going to get to the point where you would say well who wrote the book and the majority of scholarship believes that the book was written by, by Moses. And, well, who is this book written for? Well, of course, it's written for a, a certain people. It's written for the Jewish people and eventually Christian people, people who would follow after the promise that is ultimately shown to us in Jesus. But one question that I've always forgotten to ask is, well, when was it written? At what point was this written and what was the purpose that it was written? Why was this book written when it was? The idea of empathy is something that we miss as a people from time to time. It's the ability to share and to understand the feelings of another person. To empathize, to see the situation of another and to be connected with them because we've gone through something similar. Maybe for you there's been a point in your life where someone has done that for you. You were in the midst of a hardship, a struggle. You were facing a difficulty. And someone who came alongside of you and started to talk to you and interact with you on that story. Think about this, friends. As we look at the book of Genesis, we are talking about the story of the Jewish people and how they came to be who they were. And there is a bit of empathy here because we have the writer Moses who is leading the nation of Israel on their exodus from the captivity they found in Egypt. And as he's leading these people, he's telling them that just as God kept Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though they were fickle and struggling, the God who we have met is going to keep us. Think about this. When the book of Genesis was written, Genesis would have been a huge encouragement to Israelite people because Genesis begins with God's people in a safe place, Adam and Eve in the garden. And Genesis ends with them in a safe place when Joseph has received his family. We'll go there next week. Spoiler alert. We see this running through. And we also will notice these various other themes of, of God making himself known through the book of Genesis. Declaring himself as a good, faithful God to a people. And he's saying this as people are going through struggles and hardships. Maybe for you this morning, you're in the midst of a struggle or a hardship. Maybe you're walking through something financially difficult. Maybe you're struggling with health problems. Somewhere you may be in the middle of this journey, wondering, worrying, struggling, working through whatever you happen to be going through. But hear the God of the Bible use Moses to speak to you in the midst of your desert, saying to you while you are in this desert that he is still faithful that he is good, that he wants to meet with his people. Moses is roaming around with a group of fickle people and he is writing down and telling stories of how God met fickle people in the desert. And I believe there is hope for us in that. As a fickle people who are contrary regularly, that God would meet you where you are, wanting to show himself to you who cares for you deeply. We have this recurring themes to the book of Genesis. You've got the idea of blessing, which is good, right? We like the word blessing. I prefer to be blessed as opposed to stressed. Uh, we also have the idea of, re- of covenant in the book of Genesis, that God has covenanted with his people. He's made a, a, he has established relationship with them, not a commitment. It's not the same thing that we see when we consider our phone bill. But God has said, I'm going to do what I'm going to do because I'm the God who can do it. And, and I'll work with you, but here's the thing. I really know you're going to fall down a lot, so I'm going to keep everything. I'm not going to keep just my end of the bargain. I'm going to keep your end of the bargain too because you need me to do so because you're kind of hard to work with. We see blessing, we see covenant, and finally we see rebellion. It's just re- this pattern over and over. Blessing, covenant, rebellion. Blessing, covenant, rebellion. And I in this room this morning, you see that in your own life. You may have met with God and saw that he is faithful at some point and and received the blessing of God through the person of Jesus. You consider the depth of the covenant that he would establish with you. Yet for whatever reason, because we live in a sinful fallen world and we are sinful fallen people who go to sinful fallen places, you see rebellion in your own heart moving away from God. When we get to the book of Genesis chapter 28, we are in the story of Jacob and, and a ladder, but it's not really a ladder. It's more of a staircase. We'll work through all that together. To pick you up from where we were last week when Greg Baker did such a great job that he'll never preach again. And Genesis, he walked through the story of Isaac, gets us through how God worked in that, interacted with that. And from Isaac, we get to his son Jacob. But before we can get to Jacob on his own, we find out that a few things have happened in chapter 27. Jacob has tricked his brother Esau out of a birthright. So there's this whole thing taking place in Genesis chapter 27 where deceit upon deceit upon deceit. There is liar after liar after liar in the book. So I know that we love to name children Jacob and we should because it's a wonderful name and it is a biblical name. But the person of Jacob who we meet in Scripture, he's not great. He's, he rarely does anything good and when he does, he falls over himself and does dumb things again. Genesis chapter 27 is the story of Jacob and his brother Esau, who was not a good person either. They were completely uh, they were both deceitful, not caring about the story of God and how God's story carried to a people. It's the story of Isaac, who was also on the struggle bus regularly. It's the story of of the of the mother of Jacob, Rachel, who is a who is caught in lies and deceit. It's the story of lies and deceit and consequence. Because when we get to Genesis chapter 28, we have the situation that we are facing, as they say, where you notice that Jacob has conned his brother out of everything. And after he has conned his brother out of the birthright and blessing, he's thinking through what God's going to do and why God would ever do it. And he finds himself in a horrendous place. And he has a dream. Genesis chapter 28, picking up from verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He reached a certain place and he spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head, and he lay down in that place. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground and its top its top reaching the sky. And God's angels were going up and down the staircase. Then the Lord was standing there beside him. The Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out toward the west and the east and the north and the south. And the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I, I am I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. He was afraid and he said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that, he was near, that was near his head and he set up it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel. Though previously the city was named Luz. Bethel rolls off the tongue a little better than Luz. Then Jacob made a vow... If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be with me. The stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give to you a tenth of all that you give me. Let me give you a breakdown of, of this text or and our time we're going to spend together today. The first thing we see in 28, 10 and 11 is the problem. In 28, 12 through 15, we see the plan. If we step over to John chapter 1, which we will do if we're going to do that. John 1, 43 through 51 is the purpose. And finally, uh, Genesis chapter 28, 16 through 22 is the predicament. One more time, we have the problem, 28, 10 through 11. You have the plan, 28, 12 through 15. The purpose, John 1, 43 through 51. And the predicament that we find is 28, verses 16 through 22. (laughs) <laughs> that, um, cut that on the face, Facebook live. Uh, the, the predicament 28, 16 through 22. We, we dream a lot. We dream about questions. We dream about problems. We dream about tasks. We dream about everything we're walking through and while we're walking through it. Uh, God has just met with Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. And he is saying to him, Every promise that I've made, I've made all these promises to Abraham. I've made all these promises to Isaac. I'm making those promises to you. And God is going to say declarative things to us as we look at the text. And he's going to point out how the story of Israel really is the story of us. And how God is a faithful God who carries his faithfulness through to people who are at times very fickle and far from him. And he's inviting us to recognize the difference between God's way of looking at relationships and the way that Jacob does. Because if I'm guessing, and I I, I will guess a little bit, but sometimes we're right when we guess... There are times for you when you try to make your relationship with God happen the way that you want it to happen. But God is going to show you that He is the one who is faithful and though you may have a contrived attempt to do things certain ways so that you can get what you want from Him, ultimately He's going to say to you, I know what's best for you. Jacob, verse 10 and 11, Jacob left Beersheba and he went toward Haran. He reached a certain place and he spent the night there and said... He took one of the stones from the place, he put it there at his head, and he laid down in that place. Here we see the problem. Jacob has just connived his family. He has just taken advantage of his father and his brother. He's leaving his mother altogether behind him. And as he's on his journey, he did all of this. And where do we see him? You you would think if you're going to take advantage of your family that you would be rolling in the dough. You would be flipping out dollar bills like the Kardashians. That's not what happens here. When we meet Jacob here, after he has taken advantage of his family, his entire situation, he does all of these things. And where is he? He's in the middle of the desert. And he has a stone for a pillow. He has no money and no problems. This is a situation that Jacob is in the middle of. He's 50 miles from where he started on a 500-mile journey. He's going to find a wife... And as he goes to find the wife, he has left home because his brother Esau wants to capital K, capital I, capital L, capital L, kill him. It's not this trite way that we use the word kill. Esau literally wants to kill his brother. And if you are familiar with the story at all, Esau was someone who hunted with a bow. Jacob had to have his mother make porridge for his dad to get the trick through. He's not working with a lot. So as you're looking at the story, we have this deception. He's torn his family into shreds. And he will never, ever see his mother again. His mother is the whole... She was tied to the reason he did what he did. His mother is someone who is meaningful to him. He is in this obscure place. He's using a stone for a pillow... You know you're broke when you're using a stone for a pillow. Hope goes to bed before I do. And there I will usually sit down on the couch and and I'll watch TV. But there's a grand chance that the kids have blankets in the floor. And from time to time, I will just get on the floor and lay down against the cushion and watch TV. Anybody else do that? or do we just Okay, just me. Uh, so I'm laying on the floor. And occasionally, while I'm laying on the floor, covered up in a blanket... I'll go to sleep there. Has anyone recently gone to sleep on the floor of your home? Look, when I was 25 and I would wake up from that, I would bounce up, run around the house. At the age of 43, when I wake up from taking a nap on the floor, I can barely move. It feels like everything is broken and as I stand up, things break more. Most believe that Jacob and Esau, their twins, you know, are around the age of 40. His situation is worse than mine. Laying on the ground, a rock for a pillow, and as he has this rock for a pillow, everything is bad. Because he is alone, he is afraid, he has been left to his own devices. And when you're left to your own devices, you see they don't get you very far. But in the midst of this, he has a dream... And the dream is the plan. But it's not his plan. His plan was to trick his brother out of the birthright and just kind of go and inherit his stuff and take advantage of this sibling yet again. His plan was altogether different than the plan that he's made part of. He dreamed a dream. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky. And God's angels were going up and down. 13, the Lord was standing there right beside him, saying, I am the Lord, the God of your of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. That land, that obscure land. You're going to get it. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. Gave him a compass even. How kind. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised. He is alone. He is left to his own devices. He is scared. He has been so busy deceiving and conniving that he could not see what he actually was. Anybody else ever there? He's just so busy creating spin that you don't realize what's actually taking place in your own heart. You lie to yourself as you lie to other people. But we're reminded what Psalm 134 tells us when it says that the Lord is near the brokenhearted, that he has saved those crushed in spirit. Jacob was alone. Notice what takes place in the text. God says, I am with you. Jacob uh hears from God that you won't be alone forever. I'm not I'm not just going to be with you personally. I'm going to give you offspring. Jacob was poor evidently poor. So poor he cannot afford the art. Poor, poor, poor. I will give you this land God says. Not only does he give him the land, he recaps the promises that were made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 13 and in Genesis chapter 22. He says, a recap of these promises. Here's what's going to happen for you. I'm going to make you like the dust of the earth. Every blessing that I promised to Abraham, that's your blessing now. And I'm going to establish you as the third member. You're going to be the story. When we talk about Abraham, Isaac, there's a Jacob that's there. And you're going to be that. People are going to call God, and they're going to call Him the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Jacob, I see that you're far from me, and I see that you're in this dark, desolate place, but I want you to know that I'm meeting you in the middle of your mess, because that's kind of how God works regularly. Meeting us in the middle of our mess. These are the promises of God that he made to Abraham, and that's great. We should love that God would make promises to Abraham. But notice something that takes place for Jacob, and I don't want you to miss that that's something that has to take place for you. The story of the Christian faith is not simply a cultural story, though that's part of it. It's a personal story. We are looking at God as the God of Abraham, but in verse 15, if you're someone who highlights or underlines or does something in your Bible, you might want to do that because in verse 15 he says this, that I'm becoming personal to you. The plan is for God to be personal to us. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. God has to become personal to us because the God who we meet in Scripture is always personal. I wonder, I really wonder, in the Southeast and in the South where we live, how much of Christianity is cultural versus how much of it is personal. Because you can create gathering spaces like this culturally. You can create half-hearted devotion culturally. Culturally. This is what people are expected to do if they are going to really quote-unquote follow after Jesus. We show up at buildings from time to time. Every now and then we bow our heads and pray if we don't forget to do so. But this is to become personal to you if it's going to be anything to you. We fill rooms like this. We fill rooms very much like this from from here to the other side of the the south. And we look around and we see there is much cultural Christianity. How much personal Christianity really is there? How many of us can speak a good speak in regards to who God is, but somehow we've missed a God who is personal to us? The God who comes to meet you is always personal. The God who said that he is God with us is a personal God. Everybody wants to get to God. Everybody, regardless of how they view that God, if there is any view of an afterlife whatsoever, you believe that you are attempting to reach that. And if you don't have a view of the afterlife, you're living your best life now in hopes that if things aren't too bad, you'll be okay on the other side. I'll be a good person. We love to stop. We pack those words. I'll just do my best to be a good person. Edmund Clowney, Presbyterian theologian, says this. Most people think of religion as man's quest for God. The God of the Bible, however, is the God who seeks us. The God would seek after us. Now remember, we're talking about building a stairway to heaven, like Led Zeppelin talked about. But in Genesis chapter 11, we've already seen a, a a different stairway. They're attempting to build a tower to heaven. It's in a place called Ur, which happens to be where Jacob's family comes from. So the idea of things reaching up to God, going toward God, is very present in his mind. In Ur, where Jacob's family is from, there's, there are, are ziggurats. Not cigarettes like Saratoga's and Winston, but ziggurats. And ziggurats were these Mesopotamian temples that were built towards the heavens. The Sumerian people believed this, that gods were at the top of the staircase. So when we see Moses telling us about the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, he's pointing to a people who are attempting to reach God, yet the God who we see, the personal God who displays himself in the book of Genesis, he, he still has to come down to discipline them. Because they're going after the wrong thing. They're trying to find satisfaction in their own aims. They're working in a direction. And we can see the idea of that elevating, attempting to elevate yourself in numerous world religions. In Buddhism, there are the, there's the noble eightfold path. Behavior that we modify to get to a spiritual place. In Islam, you have the five pillars of Islam. In Judaism, you have the Ten Commandments. We do these things, we do these things, we do these things. In Hinduism, you have karma, you have nirvana. And even in the good old southeast, where we, or the south, we don't live in the southeast, we live in Texas. We, we're trying to push away from the rest of the country right now. You, when you, you see this, that you have the religion of good behavior, I'll do right things, say right things, behave the right way. The thing about that is, that means you've decided what right is at the expense of everyone else. Here in Jacob's vision, Jacob doesn't have to try to go up. Verse 15. Read 13, rather. I'm sorry. The Lord was standing there beside him. One translation reads that the Lord was standing above him. Those are synonymous phrases. What's the point being made is that God has done something to make himself known. And God is making himself known to Jacob. God is revealing himself to Jacob. Jacob does not have to try to go up. God's right there. See, in this story, we see that it's different. Because in the story in Genesis 11, where you're attempting to get to God, people are going up. But here we see the angels are coming down. Whenever we see the idea of earth to heaven attempting to get there, that's bad. But here, heaven to earth, it's good. The Apostle Paul, we've heard of him, he wrote the bulk of the New Testament. Makes it clear that we are made righteous through one thing, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. And not through any of our own attempts or strivings. Are you trying... Here's a question for all of us. In the midst of cultural Christianity, are you trying to climb to heaven on a ladder that you make? Or have you acknowledged and trusted in that God came down to you? Why? Wow, what's the purpose of all of this? Why are we seeing these things in? Why in the world? will we get a story about God meeting with someone on a ladder, God standing beside someone, why God looking down at someone, why would God show us these things? John chapter 1, there's a story. Verse 43, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said, Follow me, so Philip followed him. Philip was from Bethsaida, the, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph, he's from Nazareth. Come and see. Can anything good come from Nazareth, is the question. Can anything good come from this man? Well, Sure, just come and see. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. That's kind. How do you know me before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree? I saw you. And Jesus answered. And at that point Nathanael said, Sign me up. I'm in. Just whatever. I'll leave whoever. You are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus said to him, Do you believe? Because I told you I... I saw you under the fig tree you will see greater things than this truly I tell you you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man this whole story in the book of Genesis about ladders needing to be built and God coming down finds its place in the person of Jesus because he is God come down God showing himself. John Calvin, he said this, Christ is the medium through which the fullness of all celestial beings flows down to us and through which we, in turn, ascend to God. You have no hope in regard to your relationship with God apart from God the Son descending to us. So this leaves us looking at the life of Jacob. A life of someone who has walked away from everything he had because he thought his ideas were better. That he was tricky and conniving enough to give value to himself. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, verse 16. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Duh. He was afraid, that's paraphrase, It might be in the message, I'm not sure. He was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. There is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He has just had what many of us had when we went to summer camp as a teenager. He has had an experience with God. This huge high. And that's not bad that God would give us emotional places to meet with him. If you've had a spiritual high at a youth camp experience or a retreat, or maybe it was during your adulthood, you may be tempted to chase that, run after that, pursue that, and try to find that for the rest of your life. But don't miss that the God who meets us in Jesus is just as much in the mundane. The beautifully mundane. The... the The life that we live is seeing God where we are and not trying to make Him be something that He's not. God's God's not our chemical experience. We wonder where He's at so often because we've forgotten that He's in the middle of the mess. And whatever hellacious situation you're going through right now, He has not abandoned you, nor has He forsaken you. This is not his way of saying to you that you are he's turned his back on you. He's with you in it. Whether that's a mistake, that's a problem of your own creation, or if it's something that's just the fallenness of the world has given to you, he's in the middle of it with you. Verse eighteen. Early in the morning Jacob took the stone that was near his head and he set it up as a marker. See that pillow stone? He poured oil on top of it. That's him saying there's relationship here. And he named the place Bethel, the house of God. Though previously the city was named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making. If he provides me with good to eat and clothing to wear. And if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. His predicament is what most of our predicament is when we consider God. We give God conditions. I mean, that's just, he's given us a list of those. If if God will be with me. You may not have said it, because our culture doesn't really, church culture doesn't really say stuff like that, but you've thought it. I've thought it. If he will keep me in this way that I go, if he will give me bread to eat, if he will give me clothing to wear, if he will bring me back to the Father's house again in peace, then then I'll let him be God. A couple of things are happening here, and I don't want to miss that both of them are meaningful. One is, he has had an experience with a God who is personal here, and we don't want to look at that negatively to the point that we miss that there's something good happening. If God would... He, this is new for him. But friends, if we're followers of Jesus and we've been following him for any period of time, if it's always conditional causes, I would, I would ask you to wrestle with what's taking place there. Because that means that you're missing when God is faithful to you in the middle of chaos. That you've overlooked that God was faithful to you when you were at your worst. God comes by and he gives Jacob these unconditional promises of love without one single if. God just says he loves him and he cares for him. And he's going, and he has a plan for him. But Jacob says, I'll serve you if you'll be my God. Jacob starts this story at his worst and God meets with him. Though his faith is weak, and let's be honest, it never gets great. There has been a softening of his heart toward God. Think about it. He lied to his father and referred to him as your God. And here he's saying, "The God, this is my God. I met with him." So, are you seeing spiritual progress moving you from giving God conditional clauses to you seeing how He's been faithful all throughout? Or are you in the place that I can be in at times, that all of us can be, where we are so frustrated with whatever's taking place that we are saying to God, God, if you'll just get me through this, I'll I'll be whatever, whatever that thing is. Because this is all of us. It's all of our hearts, all of our struggles. God says to you, I want you to know I'm meeting you in the middle of that. I'm not forsaking you. I'm not leaving you. So hopefully in your spiritual development, you will see a movement toward, you will see a movement away from God. I'm going to give you conditions to the place where you could say, yes, I can give you marker after marker after marker of how God has been faithful to me. And I think even in this room right now, we've got stories like that. I hope we don't miss them. I hope you don't miss your opportunity to share them. The God was faithful to you when you were sick. The God was faithful to you when you were broke. The God was faithful to you when you were divorced. The God was faithful to you. And we can go on and on and on. Let's not dismiss the faithfulness of God trying to give Him conditions. when He never stops living up to who He has said that He will be. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob who has met with you in Jesus. Why don't you bow your heads for me this morning? Maybe you're in a desert right now. I don't know what that desert looks like or what it feels like. But you're in a desert. And you just need to hear that God offers to meet with you to carry you through. That Jesus is the hope for that. That he would descend so that you could ascend with him. Because you can't do it apart from him. If that's you and you've never trusted in Jesus... In the middle of this unique passage, maybe, just maybe, you'll hear Him calling you to Himself. Speaking to you. That you would trust Him. You would believe in Him. That you would see that He's faithful. Possibly, you're here and you have a relationship with Christ. But you find yourself in this being a spiritual malcontent. Dismissing God's faithfulness because your current situation is not what you would have it to be. If that's where you are, then the Lord does care for you. And He just wants to remind you of that. He's a personal God for you. That He's not left you. He's not forsaken you. He's right there with you. So if you're a believer in Jesus and you just need to hear that today, I would invite you as the band sings over us just to list off. Don't even sing the words that are on the screen. Just list off how God has been faithful to you to be reminded of his consistent presence in your life. If you need me, I'll be in the back right, my back right-hand corner. Jesus, we trust you this morning. Father, we thank you that you would meet with us. We thank you that you are faithful to us, that you love and care for us. Father, move in our hearts. Move in our lives. Because you are good to us. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has chosen to be my God. He's chosen to be this congregation's God. God, convict me when I dismiss that truth because of my situation Because I think my situation's too bad. We trust you, Christ. It's in your